September 5th, 2016, my wife Danielle and I were having dinner with a couple of friends where we were attending church at the time, a church where I was working as the student minister. Uh, we were eating over in Hillsborough Village at a restaurant called Jackson's, rest in peace to cookie dough egg rolls. We miss you. If you're from Nashville, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You crave those all the time, and now you can't get them anymore because Jackson's is closed. Tear. With a couple of friends, we'd really gotten to know we were sharing this meal, and uh, about midway through the meal, I have a really terrible habit of having to check my phone, as I'm sure all of you have experienced at one time or another. But I checked my phone, and I received a text message from one of our leaders at church that asked me to be at a meeting the next day. And for some reason that, that night, that text message just didn't sit well. It wasn't anything out of the ordinary, asking me to be present at a meeting, but I just had this gut feeling that something was off. 12 hours later, I was sitting in an office with uh, the leader of our church, the lead pastor of our church, and one of our members of our leadership team, and I walked out just about an hour later, and I had been fired. It's not a, a word that I use very lightly. It was an incredibly devastating experience for me, uh, which I've talked about a couple of times when I've stood before you before. I walked out of that room and my life was forever changed. Obviously, I was without a job. I had just gotten engaged a month earlier to Danielle. I had all these thoughts running through my head. But something I've never confessed publicly before is how angry I was with God. For days, weeks, months, I was so mad at God. I had so many questions that I didn't have answers to. God, I'd given my life to you in service. I dedicated my career. I could have done any number of things, but I chose to be a pastor. I chose to, to go after the hearts of students who you were chasing after first. There wasn't any moral failure. I hadn't made any kind of big mistake. God, I didn't understand why I was being put in this position, why I was being pushed out of a body that Danielle and I, when we had gotten engaged just a month earlier, we went to the building where we were meeting and prayed and we were excited about starting a family and starting our lives being a part of that community. And now God was pushing us out. I didn't understand why. I woke up so many mornings with this just pain in my stomach because I just, I had so many questions that couldn't be answered. And I just remember many of you encouraging Danielle and I during that season. And I remember so many mentors taking me to lunch and telling me things are going to be okay. This is, this is just God doing something different in your life. And he's going to open a door and he's going to do something different. And while those words and those moments in those coffee shops and at those lunch tables, they helped for a moment. It still, I just lingered with this pain, this frustration and it was several months after this had happened, I was playing golf, which is something that I love. It was a sanctuary for me with a, a good mentor from Atlanta. And as we were getting up to the fifth hole, I just lost it. I just broke down into tears. And, and I just confessed to him as I had before is that it just seemed like in, in so many seasons of my life from the time I graduated college to this point, which had been about six years, it just seemed at so many points, I had so many moments where God was just pushing me back into his refiner's fire, where God was trying to chisel away things in my life. And I just lamented to this mentor. I just said, I am so sick and tired of being refined by God. I just want it to stop. I just want to be okay for a minute. 
I just want to be content being comfortable for just a second. And he paused and he lamented with me. And a few holes later, he just gently, in a humorous way, reminded me that God, when he refines us, that's a never-ending process. That God is always looking to make you the best version of yourself. And I don't remember if it was him or if it was someone later who pointed me to this passage that we're going to be in, in today in 1 Peter chapter 5. But 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 6, says this. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up. And these next three words are what just rang in my heart. In due time. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. I was so tired of humbling myself. I was so tired of of not doing that and then God humbling me instead. I was so tired of living in that space. And I had forgotten that the end of this passage says that God will, it's a promise of God, that he will lift you up in due time. I went 408 days without a full-time job between 2016 and 2017. Danielle and I got married in that time. I didn't know what was going to happen. I remember Danielle and I had a conversation one weekend right at the end of that 408 days where we had just come to the conclusion that after me applying for over 35 jobs, I, just, I had to just go do something. Whether that was working at McDonald's or Starbucks or whatever, I just had to go do something. And so I remember that night in our, in our apartment just surrendering myself to God. Before we went to bed, I just said, God, whatever I have to do to provide for my family, I'm willing to do. We came to church here at Marathon that morning. And during communion, a man named John Shoulders approached me. And he said, hey, I don't know if this is something that you'd be interested in, but I have a teaching position open for seventh and eighth graders to teach them Bible. Would you be interested? And I just, I mean, uh, yeah, of course. I mean, I, that's exactly what I would love to do. And the next morning on Monday, I signed a contract to teach there. It's been a wonderful two years at Friendship. I still hang on, though, to those moments during those 408 days a piece of my heart still lingers there. Because I know that in a room this size, many of you have a story that is like mine, but your story hasn't reached such a sweet ending yet. You are still waiting for your due time. You are in the refiner's fire. And my heart this morning is that God will meet you where you are in this season and remind you that he cares for you. This season is not forever and that he stands with you in your pain and your frustration because he has been there. Sometimes we forget that God the Father had to endure the hours from garden to grave. And if you're unfamiliar with the story of the Bible, what we believe as Christians is that God himself became flesh in the form of Jesus and he showed us how to live 
that he lived this perfect, spotless, blameless life, and yet God asked Jesus to endure something that is far beyond our comprehension. He asked this perfect man to suffer the death of a sinner. He became this substitute for you and for me, for our sin. And Jesus in his flesh, fully God and fully human, begged God the Father to take that responsibility away from him. He said, God, please, if there's any other way in the hours before his crucifixion, and God the Father had to witness, had to witness the pain of Jesus in that moment. He had to witness the pain of him on the cross. We tend to forget that God the Father had to endure the hours from garden to grave. And so we can see from that that God knows. He knows what you're feeling now that you're without a job. He knows what you're feeling walking through that miscarriage. He knows how you're feeling after your parents just got divorced this past year. He knows what you're feeling when you step on that scale in the morning. He knows when you see that family member, the things that run through your mind and through your heart. He knows when you look in the mirror, maybe something that just ashames you. He knows how you feel. He knows. And I believe that God is calling you in that season and us as a church in our collective seasons to ultimately trust in him and root ourselves in humility because it is in that garden to cross to grave humility when we are fully obedient and trust in God that God will resurrect your job. God will resurrect your marriage. God will resurrect your courage and your passion and your life. But sometimes it requires that we walk through the seasons from garden to grave. And those are difficult. And so today, to help us through those seasons, I want to talk about what it looks like for us as individuals and collectively as the church to be rooted in humility. This is a continuation of our series called Rooted. So let's open back up to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to walk through three questions today that I hope will help us uh, understand and establish deep roots of humility in our hearts. The three questions that we're gonna walk through today are what is humility and also what it's not. So those go together. What is humility? And it's important for us to also talk about what it's not. What the biblical purpose is for humility. In other words, how is humility used and purposed by God for our good and for his glory? And the last question that we're going to walk through is what are some practical ways that we as individuals and communally as a church, what are some ways we can humble ourselves and trust in God's will? The book of First Peter was written by the apostle Peter. And if there's anybody that knows about humility and these seasons of being in the refiner's fire, it's the apostle Peter. If you read about Peter in the gospels, what you see is this just over-exuberant man who loved Jesus with all of his heart, yet had a tendency to overstep his boundaries from time to time. You see, Jesus, Peter was chosen by Jesus. He was renamed by Jesus. He was chosen as a part of Jesus's inner circle. He walked on water with Jesus. And after all of this in his life, after all the things that Peter witnessed, he sat at that table during Jesus's final hours and Jesus looked across the table at him in all of his over-exuberance and he said to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. It was this humbling moment for Peter 
where the God of all creation in the flesh, Jesus, looked across the table at him and said, I'm going to humble you. I'm going to humble you. I don't know if you've ever heard it said that sometimes it's easier for us to humble ourselves because it's way harder for God to do it for us. It's way harder on us. And so if you read the story, Peter goes on to deny Jesus. It's this incredibly humbling experience. And I can't imagine the thoughts that were going through his mind that he had to witness as this man who he had been following, who he adored, who he had loved, who he had just denied and betrayed hours earlier, be crucified on that cross. And what was going through his mind, I'll never get a chance to say, I'm sorry. I'll never get a chance to apologize. And yet at the end of the book of John, John gives us this great epilogue. This story when Jesus was risen from the grave and he meets the disciples on the beach and Peter gets to witness Jesus cooking a meal and and just how astonishing that could be, but also that Jesus got to sit and talk with him face to face once again. Jesus asked Peter this question, a question I'm sure he was dying to answer in the moments of the cross and say, Jesus, I love you. I'm ready to proclaim my faith in you. I'm so sorry that I denied you. And so Jesus gives him the opportunity to speak to proclaim this love and faith, and he asked him, do you love me? Peter says, yes. Peter had to walk through the refiner's fire, and so he has a really special special perspective for us in 1 Peter. He's speaking in this letter to those Christians who who are being persecuted by the Roman Empire, who are trying to spread this movement that Jesus had begun. And so he begins to teach them about humility in 1 Peter chapter 5. We read it earlier. It says, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. The first thing that we learn about humility and trying to answer the question, what is humility, is that humility is something that is forged over time. Humility is something that is forged over time. I just recently... At school, if, if you're an educator, you know that you have to wear a lot of hats. It's just part of the, the nature of our job is we teach and we coach and, and we lead chapels and we uh, do all kinds of things for our students. And so I don't know why, Brandon, the Lord is trying to speak to us as leaders through basketball teams, but just like Brandon shared last year, last week about uh, having to coach uh, Finley's basketball team, I was asked to help coach our middle school boys basketball team. And so it's been an amazing experience. It's been an amazing ministry for me so far. And, and so one of the things that, that we got to do right off the bat was participate in this tournament way out in the sticks in DeKalb County. We were in this small middle school gym a couple of weekends ago, and we were playing in this sort of opening season tournament against all these different teams from, from around sort of the mid, middle part of the state. And so we're playing in these games and we won the first game pretty handily and, and we were doing well and won the second game and, and we were participating in the championship and uh, it was a really close game, partly because the refs were terrible, okay? Partly because the refs, they called 20 fouls in the first quarter. We had three of our players foul out. We were down to our last five. We only have eight students playing on varsity. So we're down to our last five uh, in the third and fourth quarter. And to make a long story short about this game, we ended up uh, being tied with 11 seconds left. And their team, the opposing team, drives down the court. They miss a layup. We get the rebound, 11 seconds remaining on the clock. We call a quick timeout to try to set up a play to try to win the game. And they let the clock run from 11 to 8. And our head coach, who is a really vocal coach, which is great, it's awesome, he just says out loud, wish we could have those three seconds back 
And the ref had had enough, and so he gave him a technical foul. Eight seconds left. Tie game. And I pled with the ref, please don't do this to these kids. Please don't do this to these kids. He did not care. And so he gave the other team two free throws. And so we went to the, the other team went to the line and missed the first, and we cheered and made the second. So we're down one, eight seconds left. We draw up a play. We inbound the ball to our best player. He's double teamed. He throws it across the court to one of our mid-level players who drives the lane, goes up for a layup, and gets fouled. We're going to the free throw line with four seconds left. Two shots to win the game. Tate, I wish he was here so that you could see Tate and laugh with us about Tate because Tate is the most unlikely hero for this story. But Tate steps up to the free throw line and he throws it up onto the rim. It bounces off the backboard, hits the rim and curls in. We're tied again. And we're just like, one more. I sort of pat our head coach Brad on the back and said, it's not your fault anymore. Tate has saved you, which <laughs> is really funny, really funny. We laughed about that. So Tate steps up to shoot the second free throw and he misses. The ball bounces off the front of the rim. Tate grabs his own rebound, takes one step in, puts a shoulder into the defender, leans back and throws up a prayer. It banks in and we win. We went crazy. I lamented afterwards that I know as a coach, I'm supposed to act like I've been there, but it's clear in the video <laughs> that I did not act like I had been there before. It's why God is having me teach on humility this morning. I just know it. But I ran and jumped on the pile of kids and it was just an amazing experience getting to celebrate with them. And so we took home a trophy. We were really excited about that moment and then we came back the next week and had to play an in-county rival, a team that we had beaten several years in a row who was out for revenge. It was a big game. It was a game that we wanted to win. It was an away game. It was a team that we should have beaten by 20 and we came out and they played flat, made a lot of turnovers and lost in overtime. And with middle scores, you have to deal with, with tears and you have to deal with kids thinking it's their fault and you have to deal with the pettiness that comes with being a part of a team sometimes where kids like to blame each other. So we watched film after that loss. We had been so high, we had fallen so quickly. We had to watch film after that loss and it was so interesting to me to, to watch these eighth graders in that room watching film step up and realize their mistakes and do the hard work of saying, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. It was, it was so interesting to watch this just this thing happen inside of them where, where they were so full of pride and they were humbled very quickly, but they did the hard work of going back in and recognizing this is what I have to work on. This is what I have to do to get better. And I'm willing to own up to my mistakes. You see, humility grows in us as we kill off pride in our lives. And we kill off pride in our lives when we admit we made a mistake. But we also kill off pride in our lives when we ask for help, when we defer to others, when we listen and learn through failure. This is the hard work of humility. This is what Peter meant when he says, humble yourselves. The Spirit of God is going to help us. The Spirit of God is going to help us when we walk through these things. Because in the next section, he says to cast your anxieties onto him. Verse seven, 
He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Peter is not giving us a formula that says, if you humble yourselves, then the next step is casting your anxiety on him. He says, no, humbling yourselves is going to cause anxiety. And so when you do the hard work of asking for help, when you even think about asking for help, when you think about admitting to a mistake, when you even think about deferring to someone else, when you even think about learning to failure, we have anxiety about those things. We have anxiety about those things. And Peter says, look, if I'm asking you to humble yourself, you gotta know that God's gonna give you an outlet. He says, bring all those cares and anxieties to me so that you can get back to doing the hard work of humbling yourself. I don't know if you've ever been in this situation before when someone comes to you and admits a mistake, whether it was something that they did to you or something that they did to someone else, but when someone comes and confesses something to you, have you ever visually seen the burden lifted off of that person? Because that happens. It's, it's no wonder that that's what the scripture says next is to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Because when we do the hard work of humbling ourselves, God is quick, the spirit is quick to move and to lift those burdens, those anxieties that come from humbling ourselves. He's quick to do that. So humility is something that is forged over time, but here is what humility is not. Humility is not the suppression of the spirit. It's not the suppression of passion or confidence. Sometimes we have this concept, this idea that we don't want to use our gifts in public. We don't want to do the things that maybe God or the Spirit is calling us to do because we don't want to see as bringing attention to ourselves or, or being arrogant. Sometimes we, we don't want to use flash or some substance to bring people to Jesus because we're afraid that people will think, man, that, that, that pastor, that person, they're making it all about themselves. When sometimes that is what is required. You see, when the person it's in charge, the person that is leading, maybe this is you in your workplace or maybe this is you in, in your community, when you use the gifts that God is giving you and you give him the credit and the glory, that is how you humble yourself. And that may mean you have to step out in front. That may mean you have to stand up on a stage. That may mean you have to do something that from an outsider's perspective looks like you're calling attention to yourself. But if your heart is pure, if you recognize where those gifts are coming from, we should be able to confidently use those for the glory of God. We have to understand that humility is not about the suppression of our confidence. We are confident in what God has given us and we should be bold in the way that we use it to bring other people to Jesus. So humility is something that is forged over time and humility is not a suppression of our spirit, passion, and confidence. Which leads us to our next question. What is the biblical purpose for humility? What is the biblical purpose? In other words, how is God using humility in our lives to give us a clear vision? Humility gives us a clear vision to identify our weak points and to see the strategy of the enemy. Let's look at the next verse, verse eight. First Peter chapter five, verse eight. It says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. Humility clears our vision to identify our weak points in the strategies of the enemy. Sometimes in my life, 
I'm a very reactionary person. I'm very quick to speak and not very slow to listen. And so what that ends up causing in my life are these moments where I rush out to get involved. I rush out to speak. I rush out. And what God instead is calling me into that moment is to take a step back and to see my whole field of vision, my whole field of spiritual vision is to consider not only how my actions will affect not only me and the situation, but those around me. God wants to open my eyes to see the traps in my life that I could not see. When we humble ourselves, we take a step back. To use a really terrible sports analogy, it's as if God is longing to coach us, that the spirit inside of us is our field of vision, that he is our instructor. He wants to lay out a plan for us. He wants to help us see the things that we could not see that might stand in the way, might be stumbling blocks for us for preaching the word of God. And so when we humble ourselves, we take a step back. We become intentional rather than reactionary. We can better assess our own needs and maybe more importantly, the needs and the feelings of other because the evil one is incredibly cunning. If you've ever researched how a lion hunts its prey, it does so in secret. It does so with an incredible sense of anonymity and it does so with an, an incredible quiet. The enemy sneaks up on us and we can feel as though we're doing the right things and we're saying the right things and we're being a leader in these places, but sometimes humility requires us to take a step back so that we can see things that we hadn't seen before. And sometimes that means that we have to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And sometimes that's difficult, especially when it's happening right in front of us. And so God says, look, you need to take a step back. Humility clears our vision to identify our weak points and to see the strategies of the enemy. Before we wrap up today, I want us to talk about some practical ways that we can practice humbling ourselves. Some practical ways that we can take those steps back and clear our vision so that we don't run into this roaring lion. And the first way that, that we do this, that we humble ourselves, is we cultivate the soil of our own hearts. We have moments of introspection. I see this all the time in our house church. We are walking through the book of John in our house church. And as we read passages, as we walk through these things, there are several members of our house church that it's, it's clear and obvious that they are allowing for God to speak to them through the scripture and they're allowing for a moment of introspection. Instead of offering a thought or opinion like I so quickly do, they step back and they let the word wash over them. They allow the word to cultivate their hearts. Instead of speaking into something that they've already experienced, they allow the word to, to envelop them where they are. And I've loved that example and I've needed that example in my own life. It's a different kind of humility. It's to come into this space, to come into this space, not expecting to get the exact same things from God every time and not exact, expecting something to happen exactly the same every time, but instead coming with this sort of openness. We cultivate the soil of our hearts. We plant the seeds of worship, scripture, and prayer. 
We allow ourselves moments of introspection, but we also, in order to cultivate that soil, we have to pull weeds. We have to confess our failures. We have to assess and analyze our words, actions, and attitudes. We have to surrender our biases. We have to acknowledge our stubbornness and prejudice. We have to learn from our mistakes. That's the hard work of cultivating humility in our own, in our own hearts. Because some of those things are incredibly big and they're incredibly profound and they're incredibly hard to do. They take time. And so we work, we toil on the soils of our own hearts and we wait. We wait patiently and faithfully for the harvest that God will grow within our own souls. We fix our eyes on Jesus. And we say, God, we want our hearts to be cultivated for you. And also in order to practice this humbling of ourselves, we have to do so communally. And the way that we do this communally, how we humble ourselves is we encourage and we hold each other accountable. We welcome both the encouragement and the accountability of the body. Some of us, including myself, I know have a really hard time accepting encouragement. We have a hard time accepting compliments. We have a hard time when people come in and they speak truth about how they're seeing the spirit of God working in our lives. We have a hard time expecting that, that God is doing something great through us. And so this morning, if we're gonna cultivate humility, we've got to learn to accept the encouragement of the body and we've got to learn that it is our responsibility to practice it. As a body, humility comes when we can recognize the giftedness and the power of the spirit working in the life of someone else. And when we fail, when we fail to speak that over someone else's life, it's a form of pride. And so God calls us as a way to humble ourselves as a body to when you see the spirit working in your brother or sister to say something because that is going to cultivate something beautiful in their heart. It's going to help them do what humility is not, what we talked about earlier, to not stunt the growth of their passion, to not squelch the fire of their spirit. Instead, it's gonna help them to pursue in continued humility and confidence that God is working through them. And so we must be encouragers and we must accept the encouragement and we must also be held accountable. It's much harder to do in a big in a big group, and so we long for you to be a part of small groups in our church, house churches, where you can truly be held accountable on a week-to-week basis, where you can confess sin. Accountability is so incredibly important to the life of someone who is a follower of Jesus. We talked about what it looks like to cast your anxieties onto him, the, the burdens that can be lifted when it comes to accountability. But we also, as a church, have to keep our church accountable. And what I mean by that is not just holding our leaders accountable, but we have to hold ourselves as a body accountable. That when God is stirring something in you, the most humble thing to do is not to keep it quiet, but to speak up and to say, God, you're telling me that we as a church, we need to be more faithful in the way that we serve the homeless in our community. And God, we need to be more faithful in the way that we read and participate in scripture during service. And God, we need to be more faithful in the way that we're pursuing the Christian education and the encouragement and the building up of our children. If God is putting a word in you for our church, the act of humility is not to keep it quiet, but to speak it out as loudly as possible. 
God wants accountability for our church. It is then when you speak that word, us, and our responsibility, it is our responsibility to accept that word and to put it into practice. And so we come before the Lord and we say, God, we want to be held accountable and we want to be encouraged. We are humbling ourselves before each other, before the body to say, God, would you speak through us and to us about where you want us to go and who you want us to be? And so I don't know what the Spirit has spoken to you this morning. I don't know how God is trying to cultivate or root humility in your life. But what I do know is that when we practice spiritual disciplines, like encouraging one another and accountability and confession, God moves through those things. And so we're going to take a moment to enter into a time of communion. And what I want to invite you to do in this time is, is to find someone to take communion with. This meal was never meant to be taken alone. It was initiated in, the, in a culture where they came together to do much more than just a small piece of bread and a, and, a, and a cup of juice. But instead, it was a part of a meal where there were many conversations going on about all kinds of different things. But most importantly, is about recognizing what God had done for them. And so in this moment, what I want you to do as you go to communion is I want you to, to find someone and I just want you to encourage them. I want you to speak the truth about what you see God doing in their life. And I, if you are the one receiving that encouragement, I, I want you to accept it and to know that that is a gift from God. God challenging you to, to stay the course to say you are humbling yourself enough that you're producing fruit that is being seen by the people around you. And that is what followers of me do. So keep on keeping on. And for some of you in this room, uh, instead of participating in that encouragement, what you truly need is you need a moment of accountability. There are gonna be people standing back by this respond banner that would love to talk with you and I know that it can be really hard and nerve-wracking to go back and to confess sin and to say, here are some ways that, that pride is, is springing up these weeds in my heart and I, and I need God to help me remove them from my life. I know how difficult that is. But I just want to remind you of the words, the truth of Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, he says, cast your anxieties unto God. For he cares for you. It's an act of self-care. It's an act of letting the mercy and the grace of God wash over you and be cared for by God the Father to confess. And so I just want to encourage you, if that is something that you need, if you need that burden lifted, if you need that grace of God to be experienced, I would encourage you to go and find someone at the Respond Banner. So would you stand with me? I'm going to pray, and then we'll dismiss you to communion. God, thank you so much for the gift of humility, the way that you are rooting rooting this fruit of the Spirit in our hearts. God, we know that it's difficult. We know that there is hard work that's involved, whether it's watching ourselves on tape, on film, making a mistake, or whether it's asking for help, or whether it's ad admitting that, that we're wrong, that we have a bias, or, the, or that we have a prejudice in our heart that we can't get rid of. God, doing the hard work of humility is... is is so taxing, it's so tiresome. But God, we know because of your word, it's so necessary. Because what you wanna do in our, in our hearts, in our souls, is to make us new. 
you want to reflect your image through us. And so God, in this moment, I pray that each of these people in this room would humble themselves to say, God, I, I want to be that. I want to bear your image in the world. And whatever stands in the way of that, I want to just get rid of. God, may we humble ourselves and trust that you are good. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.